Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Back in the Talent Tank, firing it up again. Only this time when we fire it up, it's going to be really quiet, like almost silence. It won't be quite silence, but, uh, joining me today, God, we got just, just one of the coolest cats in, uh, ultra four really making waves in the off-road community. I mean, just, just a absolute pioneer. We've got Kyle Seglin all on with us. Some of y'all know him as a uh, Boston Kyle. Others of you know him as a, uh, the driver of the shitbox, shitbox Toyota, our electric vehicle guy. People in my professional world know him for, uh, being the guy that took on Lordstown in an EV anyway. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Wyatt. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited about having you on and so excited you said yes. I, I mean, I, I think everyone's going to say yes, but then I'm always scared you know, about people actually coming on and sitting down with you and talking <laughs> to you. Miles was like, you've got to talk to Kyle, Boston Kyle. You got to talk to him. And then the first time I actually yeah. physically met you was Ultra 3 Racing. Ah, that was that party. That's how we've been trying to do it for years. We, I mean, we have been partying and doing the ultra three racing, but finally it kicked off this year. The weather cooperated, a bunch of friends showed up and, and new friends showed up and we had a, oh, it was an awesome time. That made the entire week for me. That was Tuesday night of, of hammers week. We're in Hammerstown. You guys oh, yeah. are kind of up in the hammer Heights area, which would be kind of West Southwest of town of Hammertown proper. You guys have like a big, te- yep. I'm going to, I'm going to call it a TP. Is it a TP? TP of lights. Yeah. Yeah. 40 foot LED TP. That's it. Topped with what? Well, this year we had a flamethrower on the top and the <laughs> flamethrower would go off every, anytime, uh, anytime Don would hit the button, it's a remote controlled flamethrower. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we just have a lot of fun on Tuesday night. Come on up. We're going to get you on a trike and get you going around the course. It's and there awesome. was like, uh, Cody Wagner donated like, uh, like a dancing, you know, what, what would you call that thing? It's like a, like a, it's, it's a, a stage. cage. It's a go-go cage. Yeah. Oh. Like go-go dancer type stuff. And, and you guys set up a track. It's, it's a circle. It's basically the circle of death. It reminds me a yeah. lot of like barter town from Mad Max was kind of like the environment, but right. anybody, I'm sure there's people because the, the, that missed this, there was no way we fit, you know, 40 or 50 or however many thousand people were on the lake bed around your, uh, racetrack on Tuesday night, but we definitely felt like we fit a couple thousand. It, it was packed in there when I came around the corner, we were doing some pre-running earlier and I came in like late after the, it had already started. It was like six people deep all the way around this circle. I mean, it was, it was stuffed in. It was, uh, oh, it came out. It was, it was a great night and we're going to do it again next year and next year and next year and next year. We're going to, it's awesome. It's one, it's like one of my favorite nights of the, no, of the it is the don't miss. And I hope people hear this. I'm sure people heard this a few, ep- you know, episodes in the spring when I mean, earlier in the spring when, uh, we kind of talked about it, but, I remember walking around the an RV. I rode up there with you know Adam Shearer, and we got out of his little Willis, and we walked over there. We actually ran out of gas on the way over there. And Miles, you know, <laughs> the AAA agent that he is, you know, uh, or was, he, he had to you know shove gas in it. And so we get up there, we get out, we walk around some RVs, and we get to it to you to the Ultra Four site. And it is a circle of death. You're running around this huge TP, and you said, yeah, like it was six people deep on the outside of the circle. But inside the circle, like on the infield and everyone's racing around you, 
I couldn't turn and tap somebody on the shoulder and we were packed in like sardines, tap someone and not have known them for like 10 years. It was insane. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was awesome. So walk through the competition for that, how you guys came up with the idea to do ultra three racing. Now we, you said it did blow up this year. So you guys have done it in years past. Tell me how you guys came up with the idea, the idea, and then walk through the competition of it. For my, my side of things, I came to KOH in 17 and then I really met team Baker in like 18 and, uh, or the, during the year 17 leading up to 18 and a uh, bunch of brothers and friends from Oregon, they already had them. They were into the ATC 70, the mini trikes with no suspension, with the hopped up motors and everything. And they were already into it. And then we just kind of went from there. As far as I'm concerned from 18 and on, we, I think it was 19, 19 or 20 was the first year we actually set up a bracket, like on, you know, on a big piece of paper, or a piece of plywood and actually, and we had a prize. Uh, it was a brand new helmet. So the, 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 the grand prize was a brand new helmet. That's how we kind of got started, you know, the megaphone and like, you know, we actually had racing kind of going on. And then this year I was obviously kind of to the next level where we're kind of keep trying to keep the, the bracket semi-serious. It's obviously all about fun, but like, you know, we kind of keep track of who won and who lost. And uh, that's it. I mean, it's, it's about having fun, but we definitely like some of the guys out there are actually pretty fast on these things. And oh, it's wow, fun to yeah. watch. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Fast. And so the way the competition works is it's, it's a circle. Yeah. It's kind of like an oval, but more like a circle. Yeah. yeah. It made a little bit of an oval ish on some areas. It yeah. wasn't, it had some closes and openings on it, but what would you say? It's probably 200 feet, of course, but diameter of the circle, maybe 80 across. I, I, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I maybe. mean, it's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not, not that real big. big. It's not that little. We kind of keep it small to keep the speeds down. That's part of our safety strategy is just like, don't make it too big because then we start going too fast. Oh, you're good. Everyone was going way fast. And so the way that the, the way they set this up is two trikes racing each other. They start on opposite sides of the, uh, the circle. So, and you know, on a clock face, one is at three o'clock and one is at nine o'clock. And yeah. then there's kind of a little, uh, thumbs up, thumbs up. And then they, uh, they flash a flashlight at the starters you know, flip flashlights at each other and that's it. They're off. And basically if you catch the guy in front of you, that means you've got a half lap on them. And, uh, and then you're kind of, you, what we witnessed was they pushed them around the, the track almost <laughs> and it's high banked. And it's, that's the other thing It's it's high banked. And if you have enough centrifugal force and you pop out of the bank, I mean, you're sailing like it's like, it gets exciting. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. It's, it's, it, yeah, that that's, you can't really pass. I mean, it's super difficult and that even just makes it even more sketchy to try to pass. So that's why we came up with the split start thing is so that we could, that's how, that's how you tell who won is who catches who. And that's, and that, that's how it is. Cause you can't really get, you know, uh, heads up racing on it. There was some women got involved. There were some women racers. That was For cool. Sure. And then there were some kids. I saw like some teenagers that were out there that were fearless. Just freaking oh, yeah. fearless. And then uh, to kind of to close out the night, kind of as the racing kind of came to an end, you took some laps in your EV truck. Yeah. It was, it was oh, yeah. silent I mean, you snuck know, up it, on people. It opens up for sure. <laughs> if it's got wheels on it, you might, you can take it around the course. No one's going to say no, just have at it and see what, you know, we've had, we've woken up and there'd be like a, there was like a Nissan frontier stuck in it one morning and no one knows who it was. Someone was just driving through camp and got stuck in the middle of the night. Like this meant golf carts flipped over in it. Like it's all part of it. Well, man, I, I loved it. I know from my, from my standpoint, it was 
one of the most entertaining don't miss events of the of, of hammers week this year for me i would be so remiss if i had, you know uh had missed that i'd be remiss if i didn't tell everyone about it because it was it was literally the one of the funnest things it was uh like being right you know right in the middle of just mass chaos but it was so controlled yeah yeah i mean you know we we chat the, the track's clear it's all sand and uh we get everybody back thinking about some hay bales for next year not really sure if the you know where we'll be with that but yeah we try to keep it fast and fun and you know as safe as possible but it is what it is yeah and it's and it's an yeah. informal event it's just basically a bunch of bunch of friends hanging out having beers and just challenging each other to a race around the fire yeah yeah that's it that's all it is well man i I, I like that you know as a uh basically a pioneer in off-road racing how does that feel to be called that? Uh, I mean, I think that's I, awesome to call you that. I was just going to say, man, I don't know about all that. I mean, I'm not the first one who's had an electric car. Uh, you, you know, there was an electric car that raced in Baja a few years ago. I'm not sure exactly. And I'm sure I'm not the first one with some sort of electric truck out in JV before. I'm sure there's been one, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it sounds cool. I don't know about all that, but. Well, I, I think you're being humble, but yeah, I am also throwing, you know, a lot of, you know, accolades your way because now we have an EV class in ultra four. You know, we saw Roger Norman open up score and add an EV class to his series. I mean, I, I just think, I think that's pretty cool. Well, we'll get into we're absolutely going to go there. We're going to get into how you came to decide to build one. And we're going to talk about your car and stuff. But at the moment, I was just going to, you know, uh, flashback to who, uh, Boston Kyle is and, and we'll kind of walk forward. So you've got the nickname, you know, Kyle Seglin nicknamed Boston Kyle, you know, like we've got Texas Jesus, which I believe you're also friends with, uh, with Matt Fallis. So, uh, yeah, I know him pretty good. So <laughs> you are from, you're actually from the Boston area. You're from Massachusetts, Sharon, Massachusetts. And then you end up out in California, but so Sharon, I, I looked up, I was like, well, this sounds like a small town. Well, no, it's, you're like right next to Gillette stadium where the Patriots play. Did you grow up as a Patriots fan? Yeah. So the first multi-syllable word I said when I was a baby was Bledsoe. And that was the nine, 1990s Patriots quarterback. Like we we're, we're, we're Patriots fans, my family through and through. That's just how it was ever since I was born. Uh, and that's how it always will be. That'll be my football team. Well, you guys have the goat. That's for sure. That guy is, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> we definitely enjoyed like a, an awesome, like decade of dynasty or whatever you want to call it. Like it's been, it was been a pretty sick way to have like a, um, you know, my favorite football team and, and right by where I live, uh, doing so well. And that, that was awesome. Like, and we all enjoyed it when, while we had it, it was, it was pretty dope. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady is. I mean, just an absolute stud. I'm a big Gronkowski fan. I'm not a Patriots fan, so don't, but don't hold that against me, but I am a big Gronkowski fan. Rob Gronkowski is like, I think, you know, his brothers went to my university. They went to Kansas state. He's a fan of mine. Like I've seen him do keg stands in person. Like, this is, you know, lifting this like six, six dude, these guys throwing him up over yeah. their shoulders to get Gronk to do a, a keg stand. Pretty impressive that the dude would rip it. And then I would see him on TV. My kids watched a TV show there or he was on. So I'm going through, I'm seeing, okay, Sharon is next to Gillette stadium. I'm certain you're a Patriots fan. So, Hey, yeah. no, no shocks, no, no surprises there. And then at what time did you finally leave? I know you went to a high school and then you ended up going to college uh, in Boston or in Massachusetts. And then you end up heading out to California. What year did you head out to California? 2017 january 4th i think january 4th was when i hit the road yeah 2017 and a month later you're your first king of the hammers 
Yeah. So I um, basically I dropped out of college and I was going to go back and I had a security job and uh, I was overnight. I was watching a fish factory and I was like, you know, basically just had to watch the front door and make sure the fish stayed dead. I don't know. That's, that's kind of how it was. I was like Googling and watching dirt bike videos. I love riding dirt bikes. And I started noticing that, you know, I love watching freestyle and I could see that they were all riding in this one place. And I, I found it on Google Earth and it was in Southern California. And right next to it was a uh, was like an RV park. And it was like 500 bucks a month and it comes with a Wi-Fi and a pool. And I had a Toyota motorhome that I had bought the year before just kind of for fun. It was super cheap on Craigslist. I don't really know why I had it. I just had it. I kind of got the idea and I was like, I, I don't know if I'll ever make it out there. So I sold my truck. I quit my job. I sold pretty much everything that wasn't in my van and put a couple of dirt bikes on a trailer behind the motorhome and headed west. And I wanted to go ride there, but on the way I knew King, I knew of King of the Hammers and Lucas Murphy is actually from my area and he was racing it that year. And I, I had hit a, you know, I was like, well, if I'm there and you're, can, can I, you know, help you out, you know? And he said, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll see you when you, you know, I'll see you there. And I got there like two weeks early for KOH and I asked if I could volunteer basically. And they said, yeah, you know, put me straight to work. I never even saw Lucas Murphy that whole first year. Like I was just working for Ultra Four all day every day. So, and then from there I went on to the to to work for the other races. Yeah, wow, that and that's where we're gonna go, man. We 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 covered so much distance. I gotta come all the way back to there because there's so much to unpack. Can we go back to Can we go back to Sharon, Massachusetts? Real quick? Okay, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, so, oh no, God, wow, yeah, that's. Uh, that's a journey that I am completely floored by. Growing up as a kid, were you like technologically proficient? Did you like taking apart VCRs or whatever? Did you, how was Kyle Seglin as a kid? Cause today I find you to be, you know, how your mind works and what you do from a, a, a technical standpoint is pretty sweet. Yeah, for sure. I always took everything apart. I could put almost nothing back together. So, I mean, there's just a trail of parts behind me, I guess. I know my, my mom was pretty mad when her fan in the bedroom had no like safety cage around it anymore. It's still, but it still worked, you know, but that didn't cut it, it for her uh, standards, you know, just the blade spinning in the, in the room. But, I mean, my dad, my dad taught me so much growing up. Uh, that's definitely where it started. And he had pictures of go-karts he had. And then eventually we got go I got my first go-kart when I was 10 and I broke it instantly. And so it was, you know, time to start fixing it. And yeah, I mean, just my whole childhood and growing up was fixing. Try, we we had a few toys. I always had a toy around, but then also whatever it was, you know, I remember fixing my garage door at one point uh, all by myself. That was pretty. I was I was stoked on that. And then our our garage was like wasn't really full of tools, and the tools that were there were not in order. So I I know that like I had to make a lot of tools or spend a lot of time looking for what I needed, and if I couldn't find it, find another way to fix what I needed to. And I think now that that's kind of helped me a lot. Cause I don't know, just used to fixing things without the correct tool. And I don't know what the right wording for that is, but this resourcefulness, like MacGyver resourcefulness, I didn't MacGyver is probably way before your time. Cause you're like 28 years old. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but that said, you know, just the ability to be resourceful and repair stuff, because sometimes either 
you can buy it, but it's, you know, economically not realistic, or you're in a position like you're the middle of nowhere and you can't, it's not available. So you got to come out with a, another way and solving it. And there's so many of us that kind of grew up that way. And it's funny how we all have kind of flocked together and, and gravitated towards, you know, this off-road world that we're all kind of, you know, floating around in that we kind of grew up that way and, and had those type of experiences. So I kind of figured that was how you had to be and to hear it actually from your mouth that, yeah, you're, you're okay with breaking stuff and figuring out a way to put it back together and sometimes put it back together a better way. Or sometimes if you don't put it back a better way, well, at least you learned another way to fail and then you won't, yeah, you won't fail that sure. way again. Right. Yeah. That is awesome. So, I mean, just get a mental picture of your head of how your head works is, is pretty cool. So going through high school, what were you involved in high school? Were you a sports guy or were you like a shop guy or art or where would you say you gravitated towards? I, I mean, I played football, football and lacrosse. I was the only, like, I was pretty much the only one in Sharon that was interested in like trucks and going off road and stuff like that. There, there were a couple of my friends for sure, but they didn't go to my high school. Uh, I went to Sharon high, which was great, but it wasn't really, it was more academic and I, I I'm not really that way, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I was, I was, I was kind of a black sheep in my high school a little bit, but I, it was great though. Like a lot of really bright people there. And I learned a lot. Like it was, it was great. It just wasn't really for me, I suppose. I didn't get good grades or anything like that. I mostly hung out with kids that went to the agricultural or the technical schools around my town. Yeah. Just kind of whenever I could going in the woods. Um, I had oh, oh man, a hand-me-down SUV from my mom. It was a 2001 Mitsubishi Montero, which by the way is a rally car. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever had a Montero before, but they, they got a wild side to them. Uh, they <laughs> hold up really good, but I was just getting in trouble cause I bring it back muddy and, uh, with like little dents on it and stuff. But, uh, uh, so yeah, I guess that's kind of in high school. That's where it sort of started. Yeah. I don't know from that. My first real, real off-road ish truck was a 86 Toyota. That's kind of where like, you know, I fell in love with Toyotas and a, a real truck that was like super durable, easy to work on. And, uh, kind of, that's where I really learned a lot about automotive repair and fixing trucks and like putting big tires on them. So like the Montero, right? You, I mean that, or the Toyota, it's your mode of transportation. You break it on the weekend messing around. What do you got to do? You got to fix it, right? Yeah. And sometimes you got to fix it before your mom finds out or your dad. Yeah. That was, <laughs> there was a lot of that. Yeah. There was a lot of that. You know, the guys that were at your, uh, or the, the crowd that was running around your high school. I mean, we don't see them chasing around Baja, do we? No, no, no I was exactly. So proud to put Sharon mass as my, uh, as, as my hometown, because I, for sure, that was the first time it's ever been put in a scorebook. I was pretty stoked about that. Not gonna lie. See, pioneering, right? You're, you're this guy from uh, Sharon, Sh- Massachusetts, uh, making a name. Those other guys, they're probably sitting. They probably got you know two point five kids, a dog, and live in the suburbs and uh, sit at a desk all day, right? One way or the other, everybody, you know, whatever they're doing, they're probably doing it the best too. It's just a little different way. Yeah, that's a good humble way to to, to state it. Actually, um, so. You like, like an off-road, did you, uh, as a kid, did you like monster trucks? Were you a monster truck? That's, that is absolutely my first love. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- th- then we're good. Like, yeah. like I'm like totally connecting with you here. Okay. Favorite monster truck as a kid. Bigfoot for sure. Bob Chandler. Yeah. It's got, it's got, it's got to be Bigfoot. And then Gra- Grave Digger's pretty rad. I, I, I wasn't really too sure about him at first. But uh, yeah, I kind of grew on me. No, I, for sure. Monster trucks definitely grabbed my attention. And I, I 
I remember uh, reading about him a lot. I don't know. I, I still, when I grew up one day, I want to be a monster truck driver. I still say that right now. Like that's, that's the idea. <laughs> well, we we've had uh ultra four guys and, and ladies, women that have gone from ultra four to two monster trucks. We had Nicole Johnson. She drove the Scooby-Doo. I don't know how many years, five, six, seven years, quite a while, like a very long time was if you saw Scooby-Doo at a monster truck event, Nicole Johnson was, uh, was driving it. Well, that sounds awesome. So, so, so that's there. <laughs> yeah. You brought Bob Chandler. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is Bigfoot was the thing when we were kids. Now, you know, I take my kids to go see monster trucks and it's, uh, to monster jam and it's all then Den- it's the Dennis Anderson show. It's yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Son of a digger. And, uh, you know, just they're great. I mean, they're absolutely great, but my son and, you know, some of his buddies will take them and, and just walk, you know, they've got their earmuffs on and just trucks ripping it and do, do, doing backflips and all that stuff is pretty cool. And then normally we would take them, which this weekend is would be that weekend. It's crazy, you know, where we're at in the year, fifty two weeks a year, and here's the weekend we're having this conversation. NHRA Spring Nationals is in Houston. This it'd be this weekend, and you know we're forecast for rain all weekend, so we're not going to go. And we usually go Friday night for qualifying. And nothing like getting your kid against you know down there against the fence and. uh you know, the, the top fuels take off and just, bah, and you know, the kid looks at right. you like, Oh my God, dad, did you see that? Like, what, where did it go? Did you feel that? Like right. my chest hurts. I, I don't know. I didn't, you know, I normally talk to James Schofield around this time. Cause he's, he's traveling with a, with a team, but I didn't catch if he was going to be there. I should have actually texted him before, you know, before this week, I, I was thinking about him today and then got sidetracked about it, but Anyway, sorry, that's such a tangent about NHRA, but, uh, so yeah, monster trucks. I mean, we're talking about traveling circuses, right? Yeah. And, and you know, a little bit about that, right? As we get into ultra four, ultra four ends up being something of a traveling circus, uh, in, in its own right. So you, uh, For sure. at what point did you kind of get into, get, get your first dirt bike though? And where did you ride around Sharon? I was never allowed to have bikes. You know, I, like I said, a uh, go-kart when I was 10, ruined that. And then it's lucky enough, you know, to get a quad, we had a little four, 100 cc quad and then uh I, was, I wanted a dirt bike mostly because we would take my dad would take me to like random pits around in walpole sharon stoughton so like behind industrial areas or on the power lines for me like i you could always ride the power lines because in the east like all the land is private everything's bought there's no such thing as blm land there's no plus massachusetts doesn't really like off-roading there's no like you know there's not a lot of uh, public sentiment that is uh, good for that, if that makes any sense. So, but you could always go to the power lines because they get a service road under them, and they, it says no trespassing. And there's a gate. There's always a little road around the gate. You know, there's a little way to get in there. That's so that's where we go. We'd usually trailer to like behind some industrial park and be on the power lines at one point. Yeah, I was never allowed to have a bike, even though I, I got a Banshee when I was 17. My dad had a Raptor, but my mom still wouldn't let me have a dirt bike because they were dangerous. And it's like, wow, I'm on a Banshee. That's like the most dangerous vehicle ever created. You know, when I was 19, I came home with one. I got like an old two stroke uh, that was laying on its side in a barn in New Hampshire for seven years, like roached out. But I got it fired up and was riding it. From then on, like quickly, I got a, I got a RMZ 450 and like, I just, I still love riding. I don't do it as much as I should or want to, but something about catching air and, and uh, grabbing fifth gear and wheelie is like, just makes me feel alive, you know? So I love it. Zero disagreement. You know, I, I had a street bike that was in front of me in traffic just a couple of days ago and I pulled my phone up and going like this guy, 
He's looking around and you can know that look, you know, that look in traffic, he's looking over his shoulder and I pulled my phone up. I just hold it while I'm driving straight up on the, you know, he went 12 o'clock and just fucking rolled. <laughs> Excuse my language, but yeah. that was the only, just right down the highway. And, uh, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I got all that. I caught all of it on my, on my phone. I didn't, didn't share with anyone, but I think it would be what I would do if I was riding a bike in traffic or if I was, you know, out on the dirt road, I, I don't think I'd be able to stay away from Papa wheelies. Uh, uh-uh. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's the other thing too, is like back East, there's, there's lots of trees and it's really tight and there's not really big places to, so not a lot of people have trucks. I mean, sure. There are some off-road trucks, of course, but for the most part, it's way easier if you got a bike or a quad to enjoy yourself on a weekend because the areas are smaller and they're in the woods. So there's just, it's different than the West coast. Uh, sure. When it comes to like the rec wheeling, you know? Have you been back at like me for the holidays Are razors and side-by-sides becoming a thing in that part of the world as prevalent as they are in like, you know, the Western States. For sure. Like they're definitely uh, increasing in popularity, probably at the same rate, but just, I guess, overall, there's less uh, participation and usership of off-road vehicles in general. Like, it, yeah, like the, I remember being out on the trails. I, I mean, I haven't gone riding since I've lived in the West. So I go home and see my folks and everything, but I don't go uh, messing around. But the, I've seen I've seen razors out there and things like that. It's just in general, there's just way less of that culture, you know. So you, you don't see it as much. I I can completely feel you there. So you get a you get out of high school, you've got a dirt bike, you end up going to a, a local college there. What's the college name that you, you went to? I went to Mass Maritime Academy. It's like a regimented college so it's it's not military it's a state college but it is they kind of like it's military with uniforms and rules and all that what i was studying for was to be a marine engineer so i would work on large ships what you get out of that school isn't you get a bachelor of science but what's more valuable is the third assistance coast guard license the so large ships a a captain a chief a first a second and third to legally sail so you would have the you'd get out with the thirds. And then as you sail, you second, first, and eventually be captain or chief. That's what I was going for. I, d- I didn't finish it. It was neat. It was a neat experience. I got to go on the three different cruises uh, down through South America and Central America. It was pretty rad. Learned a lot for sure. Is that something that you, uh, you know, you aspire to be a sailor or, or is it something that you still aspire to maybe go back to? Uh, I mean, it'd be to go back now because to get the license, there's like lifeboat training, fire training, and then uh, tons of other certifications. And they kind of roll that into your four years when you're there. So when you're done, everything's up to date and ready to go. That's kind of why it's a, it's a difficult thing to get. I, I don't know. I never really, really being out on the ocean is awesome. And I do love it. But no, at this point, that's not necessarily where my mind's at. Well, I think life is a pursuit, right? And, and sometimes it's not a pursuit of what you know, where you're going. It's a pursuit of knowing where you've been and that you don't want to go there. Sometimes it's just checking the box off that you've experienced it and you know that you don't want to experience it again, or that you've already lived, lived that part of your life, which is cool about you. Cause actually I read that through the notes that I was, you know, I've got on you is kind of, you've liked to change things up at kind of a continuing pace to ensure that you're checking your proverbial boxes off in life that you're you're rolling through a set of a set of rules in your head that you want to get knocked out so maritime academy didn't work out you're looking at dirt bike riding you see uh, you find on google earth you find a track you find this place to park your rv you own an rv how old are you at this point 21 or two i was 24 24 okay 
24 and you're like, I'm selling all my worldly possessions except for my dirt bike and my motorhome, a couple shirts, some pants, and uh, you throw them in your RV and you head out of Massachusetts cross country for California. Did you make it all like in one shot or did you stop a few weeks different places or how'd that go down? What was awesome about it, and I, I always try to like from now on, I crave times that I get to travel this way, which would be like, you know, without having a time frame. Oh, it's so nice. So, my girlfriend came with me at the time. She was on her winter break uh, from her senior year of college. So she had uh, X amount of weeks, a couple of weeks. So we left Massachusetts. Vanessa, she's still with me now. We got, and this wasn't much of an RV, by the way. This was an 87 Toyota Coachman motorhome. It looks like a dolphin. Most people think of them as dolphins. I cut the back out of it to make it a toy hauler. We started and we we just kind of like bopped around. We were trying to go to get out of the the cold winter in February, uh, January. She had a flight out of Austin, Texas, two or three weeks. It was probably about three weeks after we left. And we just kind of meandered through the self. We stayed off the highway as much as possible. Got down to where we stayed, Nashville, Memphis. Drove from Nashville to Memphis on back roads entirely. It was sick. It was, it was really cool. And uh, went down the Mississippi River, just kind of jumping between Mississippi and Alabama. And stayed in New Orleans for a little while. It was, ah, man, it was just a lot of fun. It was, you know, kind of no, no, uh, no worries really. You know, we were living cheaply, just food and beer basically. We were trying to park for free pretty much wherever we could. And then uh, she flew out of Austin. And at that point, I really liked Austin, by the way. We weren't there for long, but man, that was a cool city. I like that town. From there, I just basically hightailed it to KOH. Actually, it was, it was neat. I, I, I was having um, trouble with my transmission in Arizona. And I called a local transmission shop and I, I kind of knew what that entailed. You know, it'd be expensive and it'd take days of downtime. Then I saw one on Craigslist and this guy, I called him and he's like, yeah, let me, I said, I was laying under, under the truck at a rest area. I was like, these are the numbers I need. And he says, he goes, oh, he hops out of his house and runs under and he's like, hey, and he calls out the numbers. I forget what they were, but it was the exact transmission I needed. He was asking uh, 150 bucks for it on Craigslist. And I said, hey, can I come and swap it at your yard? And He's like, or at the street in front of your house. Like I'm from Massachusetts. And he's like, yeah, okay. I met him, this guy, Daryl Hammer, and we're friends. We still keep up. He, uh, but yeah, I was a total stranger to him. And he spent his whole Sunday with me. He was kind of like, he just helped me do the swap. We swapped it in his yard. And then the next day I hung out for an extra day. He, he worked. And when he got home from work, we went for a ride on my dirt bikes. He hadn't been dirt biking in years. Like his, his daughter got to try the pit bike and his, his wife and everything. And like, I got a shower and got a home cooked meal. And we watched. America's Funniest Home Videos together on the couch, like just these awesome people in a tiny town, Duncan, Arizona. And it was that to me, it was like, man, some of the best people they're out there. They're everywhere. Uh, You know, you just they're willing to help people. And that was that was awesome. And I I can't wait to repay that favor to whoever, uh, whoever I can. You're kind of a modern day gypsy, but you're you're giving me faith back in you know that there is back in society that it's not a lost cause, right? Where there's still a lot of yeah. really good people out there. You kind of got to go out of your way to find them. And today with you, people don't even know who their next door neighbors are. So little, they, they don't know yeah. the next door neighbor. They definitely aren't going to ask them if they can, you know, swap a transmission in their front yard. <laughs> but when you find yeah. those people, you know, you're like, wow, you're just a good human. And there's no replacement for good humans. And I mean, I don't know if people are a lost cause, but humans, uh, you know, I don't know. There, there are definitely some good ones out there. That's so Duncan, Arizona, you get this guy, 
changes your life right there. Hope is renewed. And then you, you get on the road right. and, and by the way, so your trip to California, your goal was to hit this RV park, but you didn't know anyone out there. No, I didn't know anybody. I knew I got like an aunt in, in the LA area, but that's about it. it like, yeah, just want to go dirt biking. And I wanted to go where those jumps were at. Like th- those jumps were sick as hell. You see them on Instagram and stuff. And that's where I want to go. Is it the ones where it's like, you know, it's like grass, but then they've got the, the ramps cut out. So like RJ Anderson is hitting that stuff. Oh yeah. Where is that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. For what now that there it's in Beaumont, California, usually the dope spots, you kind of keep it, keep it a little tight, but now everybody knows now it's, it's in Beaumont. And what was really neat about it was like th- that culture I was kind of missing where I, I had some friends to ride with, but nobody wanted to like jump like the guys out West. And I figured that's what I want to do. That's where I got to go. And every single time I go riding in Beaumont, I jump higher than I ever have. It's it, uh, man. It's so exciting. So I love it out there. So that's the so, stuff. I mean, you're like three, four stories off the ground and sailing, you know, hundred, 150 feet, right? Yeah. I mean, those are the big dogs out there and I've, I've been right there when, uh, you know, when the pros are hitting them and that's awesome. I can't do that stuff. But there's what's really neat is that there's they're all the way from kitty jumps to that stuff there, and you go out and dig your own. I've gone out and dig my own too, and it's oh, it's just so fun like that. That's what I love doing. One of the things. So you got out there, you know, let's call this, this is like January of 2017, and then you look around and you know King of the Hammers is coming up. You've heard about, it, you've seen it, and you reach out to Lucas Murphy, Optima battery driver. I haven't seen Lucas in a while. I think he's kind of stepped back from ultra four racing, but you hit him up. He says, yeah, bring it. And you roll out to Johnson Valley. And then that's kind of where we left off. I was like, whoa, whoa, I threw the brakes on you. So, so start up back there. I rolled in through Yucca Valley and then I was following GPS to Johnson Valley. I didn't know where to go. I, I stopped at Hero, Hero Market and she says, oh, it's in Johnson Valley. I said, well, okay, yeah, sure. I blow right at Spoon Road. I've never been there before. I've never seen anything. I blow right past it, and I drive way out towards Lucerne, but at some point, I, I pull over uh, just because I know i am got to be near it somewhere. So I park the, the motorhome to get on my – I get on my dirt bike, figuring I can cover more ground quicker, and I just start riding, and, eventually, and I eventually find it. I find hammer on what, what it looks to be like in the middle of the day, and I ride out Boone Road, so now I know how to get there by the pavement. I figured that if I, if I right now at noon my bike and asked if I could help, like they might not, they might be like, Oh no, we open next week. See you later. I figured if I rolled up at night that, you know, they're, they're, gonna, they're probably going to be having beers around a fire. And if I roll up at night, they'll probably at least let me hang out with them for one night. You know, they're not going to kick me out at, at, at night. So I, I get back in my, in my RV and I, I go to town, get my clothes washed, get firewood, get beer and food, get everything I need, like everything for two weeks, all set, got propane, got everything I need. And I roll back out there. Sure enough, I, I find the, the smoke from the fire. I just drive straight into Hammertown, like half the fence is up at this point. It's early. And uh, there's like no racers or anything. And I roll up and to this fire. There's like 15, 20 people or so. I cut it off and start walking there. Everybody's looking at me. You know how it is. I'm like, hi, is this King of the Hammers? My name's Kyle. And they're like, yeah. What do you, my name's Texas Jesus. What's going on, man? And that's the, that's the first person I met. And uh, everyone was so cool. And they, the the next, I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'm here to volunteer. I'll do whatever, you know, I can work. And KOH like blew my mind. That was like exactly where I needed to be. The people I met, uh, I, I can't, I remember meeting the tribe crew and everyone was like, 
so cool and so nice. Uh, all the different, I mean, I met a whole wide variety of people, racers, and then also just spectators out there, you know, whether it's at Chocolate Thunder or just going to people's camps. And it was amazing. It absolutely blew my mind. I was like, this is, it just felt right. Like, that's where I need to be. Well, I, I mean, I, I love using the phrase. I haven't used it in a long time, but the inflection point, like the inflection point of the moment where you rolled up in the RV to the fire there uh, on means dry Lake and getting out and meeting Matt Fallis, Texas, Jesus in the relationship you guys still have today is really tight buds. And then the group of other people there, it set your path for right up to the point where you're sitting right here talking to me tonight, but it set the path of you on this kind of, I mean, right, right in the circus, right? you, you end up uh, helping set up Hammertown. You end up involved with Ultra Four. You end up continuing to volunteer, continue to work with Dave and company, and then you ultimately start racing. And then here you are. You know where we've got to the culmination today, but that's quite a pinnacle moment, right? That's a that is that's a defining moment in your life where you can look back and say, my whole life took a pivot, a solid pivot, just because I walked up to the right fire that had those specific guys at it, right? For sure. I definitely, I, I'd have to agree with that. Like, yeah, I, I I think it was meant to be or whatever, however you want to put it. But like, yeah, we, oh man, got along so well, done, done so much with, uh, with Dave and everybody else in ultra four have had such a good time. And I, I feel like, I mean, yeah, we're putting on races, but like some, some things that we do are pretty, pretty new, you know what I mean? Like novel ideas. And I think that's, Ah, man, it's just been, uh, it's been really great. It's been really great. Some of my best, my best friends now all inside ultra four, uh, part of the racing and everything. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome. It's been an awesome couple of years for sure. So around that, and and tell me, I know there's a ton of stories in there and we can go back to a bit. Uh, I'd heard this story of this guy where this guy had a, he basically gets offered a job. He's working for Dave. He gets offered a job at Tesla and Dave basically tells the guy, dude, you've got to take the job. And the guy was like, man, I don't know. And Dave tells him, no, listen, you don't understand. Like if you don't take the job, I'm firing you. So you're either quitting and taking the job or I'm firing you and taking the job, your call. How much truth is there to that story? <laughs> uh, at least a part of it for sure. Like, for sure. I, I really liked what I was doing. <laughs> At the time, I had just started working for Alltech for Wayne Israelson. I had just started for about two weeks with him. So I was kind of transitioning from Ultra 4 to that. And my new thing was I was going to learn chalks. I was going to start at the bottom, asking a million questions and kind of going from there. And uh, eventually kind of learn race chalks uh, under Wayne. And and then the, the opportunity came up. He's like the godfather now, right? Of oh, Ultra man. 4 style shocks. Yeah, he's... Uh, it, an awesome guy and he has an insane knowledge like i i I was so excited to learn from him and i still am whatever opportunity i can get to i learn from him and talk to him about racing shocks but yeah i just started i had like two weeks there and i got an offer from from tesla to be a technician equipment equipment maintenance tech and uh yeah i mean just kind of talking with every you know obviously my folks and uh dave and I was kind of like, well, should I, shouldn't I? I mean, I kind of already knew I should, but <laughs> I think definitely Dave was like, yeah, you, you're doing that. So, uh, so I did. I, I've got two questions now. One is a, is a throwback. Cause I completely, you know, completely iced over it and, or glossed over it. What did your parents say when you told them I'm going to load all my crap in this RV and I'm moving to California? What did your mom and dad say about this? What did your, your siblings say about this? Well, that's gotta be great, right? I mean, 
<laughs> I, I was 24 at the time. So it's not like I was, you know, and I think my mom had already kind of given up on me a little bit. <laughs> they were supportive. They didn't think that the Toyota was going to work worth a damn. I mean, it was old and didn't look like much, uh, but it had good bones and it ran, it actually ran great for the years I had it. But uh, for the most part, it was kind of like, well, just let us know where you are when you're broken down and we'll we'll come and get you or we'll get you a bus ticket or whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I was 24, so I was a full-blown adult. I was making my own decisions, and I decided to go for it. But they, no, it was support. It was all support from my family. They thought it was a little zany, but it was support. Oh, good use of the word zany. Sure. I like that. Yeah, you were like, but but mom and dad, where's where's the where's the support on this one? Like, we'll come get you when you break down. Come on, where's the faith? <laughs> well, she didn't think it would. She didn't think it would go around town, and I was driving. I yeah, no, it's it, it's still. Yeah, I don't know. And man, I'll tell you what, everybody was always knocking that Toyota motorhome and I drove it everywhere. It went up and down Baja. It went, it, I daily drove it. It's where I lived in for two years and it never let me down. It caught me literally everywhere. It was amazing. That sounds like an ad for Toyota, man. You just can't kill them. Right. But the eighties ones, those are the ones you need. Yeah, no, no, for sure. <laughs> so then you get to this point, sorry. And I would miss flashback to that. Uh, Cause I, completely skipped that, that that little portion i was so curious about what your parents thought and then i ooh look hey squirrel and uh, we moved on as as you're there at ultra you know you're at ultra four you're hanging out around johnson valley you're doing race stuff and how did you you know you're working with wayne how did tesla even enter the picture like how did you did, did you see an ad somewhere did you apply online how did that pop up how did that opportunity crop up my cousin, he uh, he's a couple of years younger than me. He was working there as an equipment tech. He graduated college, and and that's what he was doing. And I went up and visited him at, at least once when because he was living up in uh, it's in the Bay Area of California, and I was living in SoCal in my van. And I hung out with him and his friends that all worked there too. They basically had like a bachelor house. It was awesome. We drank a bunch of beers on the roof, and uh, they all seemed yeah. And he and he said, hey, they're hiring right now. You should probably apply. And I was like, oh, I don't have a degree. And, He's like, there's people on the shift who don't have a degree. So put it in and I'll refer you. And I got the chance. You know, I, I was actually in Mexico. We were about to run the 1000 or the Nora. Uh, it was probably the Baja 1000. And I got an interview on Zoom on my phone and I completely messed up. I completely confused PLC and VFD. The VFDs, they, they are two wildly different things. And anyways, I confused them. And uh, he, he said, yeah, you got that pretty bad. but." Um, and anyways, I got the chance. And from then I, I've, I've learned a lot and I feel like, uh, you know, done pretty good at it. So, so variable frequency drive. What was the first one you said? PLC program, logic control. Oh, program logic control. Yeah. Okay. Two wildly different things. And I got them screwed up. Yeah. You got them flipped. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I believe VFDs are in, in controls of VFDs are going to be the future of our, the globe. Definitely in the United States, definitely of, of, of like our power grid, you know, what we see certainly out there in California, you guys see brownouts on some regulator. We're starting to see them here in Texas because we're, we don't have enough uh, electricity to meet the demands. So if you can take put control logic, onto your vfds and you can dial them like your pool pumps if you put a, right. a, a a vfd pool pump in and it gets to be the peak of the day when electricity is at a high note well you can throttle your pool pump back from a hundred percent you could throttle it back to 15 percent. it's still going to run you're still going to circulate some water you're just not going to circulate it at the high speed and so then therefore you're not using all the electricity so you're in conservation mode and 
for you guys, you know, California ISO, they send out the conserve notices. If you, you know, with Wi-Fi and these wired homes and smart homes today, you would think you'd be able to go through like a nest setup. And if California ISO sends out a conserve notice that everyone's VFDs would, oh, dang, and they would throttle everything, right? I definitely think that that's those types of things are what we're going to see in our reality as we, as you know, we go into the future, everything's getting more and more complex. All, all the, the, the parts in our, uh, the, the equipment in our life. Uh, and it, things are only going to be more automated. They're not going to be less automated as we go. Yeah. I mean, if these are going to trickle down into components that we've never seen them before, they certainly are prevalent and have been prevalent for a long time in dust in the industrial space large motors and things like that. So it's the best way to drive them and control them, especially when you need precision. There's going to be more, not less. And it's been great to learn more and more about them and uh, kind of get there with it. You know, see what you can create with your mind, right? Yeah. And apply to an electric truck, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, the, so, so yeah, there we go. You get the offer. You're basically, you're down at the thousand. You have a, you, you've got an interview, you bang it out of the park, you get back to the States, you get offered the job. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I went up there, I lived with my cousin for a couple of years and that was awesome. He's uh, my, my cousin, Brendan, he's a really good dude. And like, it was just great to get to do that. You know, we were both in our, our young to mid twenties sharing a house together in a foreign state, you know, to, from where we grew up anyways. And that was just, that was an awesome like thing to get to do, you know? So your girlfriend from back in, in Massachusetts, the last time we heard her in your story, she made it to Austin. And then flew back home. Did she, she come out and visit you at, with some regularity in California? How did you guys keep up? Cause you guys are still together today. How did you guys keep up that relationship over a continent apart? Yeah. It was, so she had to finish uh, her last semester of college. That was the primary reason why she didn't stick with me for the time. But no, she spent, she would spend months at a time with me out in the West coast, whether it's just living in my Toyota or then coming out and staying with us uh, up at the house that we rented when we were working you know, with me and my cousin. So we, yeah, we, we would always spend months at a time together. Long distance relationships are tough for sure. She now lives with me full time out here on the West coast, but it's been great. I mean, she, I, I love her. We've, we've known each other for since we were kids, you know, and uh, we just, I don't know. She's the one for me. There you go. But it's been good. And so she's, was she a couple years younger than you? Yeah. yeah. And she clearly enjoys Baja and off-road and, Dust, breathing dust. Yeah, yeah. We uh, one of our best week, like vacations. Like, yeah, that's what it was. We spent three weeks going up and down Baja all the way to Cabo in that Toyota, and it's not always comfortable. It's usually not the the picture of comfort. Yeah, I mean, that's just. And she supports my racing so much in every way. Like, it's it. Yeah, it's awesome. So she graduates college. She comes to California. She's with you. She's got, she goes and gets a job there in the Bay area. Like you, you know, you're working at Tesla. Now she's working somewhere. What, what does Vanessa do? Most secure field, you know, private eye type stuff at, at the present, but you know, it's kind of uh, it's kind of evolving. She's, you know, definitely looking to find her career as it comes. Okay. It's, uh, you know, intriguing that you found basically like this soulmate that is, well, my, I couldn't get my wife to live out of a, an RV or even go to the desert. Even if we had a big RV, like none of these things would like jive. And, and you guys are just, uh, you have this very, very copacetic relationship on that. And I'm like, I'm, so I'm kind of envious. I'm like, wow, that's a uh, pretty badass. So do you guys have a uh, plans for a family, kids stay in the Bay area, go back to Boston. What's kind of in, in y'all's future. Oh man. I mean, not to put you on the spot. I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
ever since I was little, I always thought I'd have kids for sure. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I always thought I'd have kids. We'll see. I'm kind of getting close there. I'm almost 30. So that's kind of, that, yeah, that's in my mind for sure. I also kind of miss my, my family. I got a extended family that's really close. I'm really close to my immediate family, but also my uh, extended family. And I, I, you know, I got like uh, nephews and nieces and cousins that are growing up and I miss them. I miss my grandma. You know, I kind of want to think about living back. I think about living back east a lot. We'll kind of see how that goes. As of right now, I'm not uh, about to do that, but Maybe within a year. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. But that's I'm definitely pulled for sure. Well, yeah, certainly if you're looking at, you know, as you guys, you and Vanessa get, get further along, you know, thinking about marriage then thinking about kids, it's really nice and convenient to have family nearby that you can lean on when. Oh, yeah. The kid's sick and they can't go to school or the, you know, or, or you've already missed work because the kid's been sick for two days and you can't miss a third day and or just kids sports. Having, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the grandpa and grandma come and watch them, you know, swing the bat, you know? Yeah. Uh, playing with my cousins, you know, like that, that's like, that absolutely has colored my life, you know, like who I am today is like, I've learned from my cousins, at least partially. So, I mean, that makes sense to me too, you know, it's like, well, it's probably yeah, being around my family, you know, it's probably coming up here soon. So you're working at Tesla, you're on your second job at Tesla, right? So you you worked one job. Tell me about that job, you know, I guess in, in your terms, and then talk about your new job. I started basically on the factory floor in the body shop, which was, uh, it's kind of like Mordor. It's like dark, like dingy and this sharp pieces everywhere. And there's lots of welding robots and it, it's really cool. Uh, there's lots of, lots of technology to learn. It was, it was great though. I, I, it's too dark and dingy. It's not quite like that. It's, it's a, it's a high tech shop, but it, yeah, learned a lot about automation and, and different pieces of equipment, how to fix them. No, and you guys are building Tesla cars. Yeah, Model 3. I was in the Model 3 line. Yeah. Yeah, and it, we have a 55-second uh, cycle time. So if you're down for more than a minute or two, uh, you know, there's people start to show up. You know, hey, why are you down over here? Oh, we're working on this. If you're down for four or five minutes, it's a big deal. So it's learning how to get stuff running quickly is is where it's at. When it comes to the the part of the line I was at, moved to a different part of the line in the assembly where we actually put this together. We got painted bodies and we assembled, uh, you know, put the put the motors in and the batteries in, and that was a whole new set of technology to learn, which was great. You know, learned a lot about that stuff. And now I'm in uh, a different part. It's not on the manufacturing anymore. It's more um, R and D type stuff. So that's it's been it's been awesome. Yeah. You moved from the assembly process and working on equipment too. Now you've you're over in the R and D shop and don't d- divulge anything, you know, any trade secrets or work secrets, but tell us about kind of how that materialized and then the new challenges of, of the new role. Definitely part of uh, uh, going, going electric truck racing was part of that evolution, I'd say. And the, the challenges of the new role are it's, it's different because it's more wide open in a way. And, uh, it's it's definitely different than uh, being part of the, the 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 factory, like being on the plant floor. It's cool. It's great. And like I I, I don't know. I I definitely felt a lot of pride, and I mean I still do of uh, being like an American auto worker. That's something that was, you know, the 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 auto industry in general. I I think is was was sort of founded here in America with Henry Ford and the assembly line and. I definitely felt a lot of pride uh, spending lots of hours on my feet in the concrete there at the, at the, at the auto plant. And uh, 
I think that that was that was an awesome thing to kind of get to be a part of, even besides it being a job. It was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it. Do you think today, based on what you're doing, do you think you, it's much more? I think the right words are, uh, uh, are you more right brain? You're getting to use a lot more of your right side of your brain than you were your left side, you know, left side, you know, control your right side is, uh, your ability to be creative. I think that's the, uh, it's kind of like the goal. I think, I don't know if the, if I'm quite there yet, if that's what's what I'm supposed to do yet, for sure. still left brain if, if we're going that way with it, but it's just been great to learn like all kinds of uh, equipment that I can apply to, to lots of different places. Uh, you know, robots, I can run a robot pretty much anywhere. And I think there's going to be more robots and not less as we go forward. It's a good, good thing to get to learn. Oh yeah. yeah fu- fully. We're fully rapidly moving towards Skynet, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it's, it's starting to look more and more real. Yeah. It's, it, you know, like uh, if you can dream it, it, it can come true. Right. So, I don't want to get into the, the, the racing and the EV and the off-road stuff you know, just yet. I guess kind of what I'm coming back to on where you were at Tesla to where you are today without, you know, again, I love that you're in a role that you can't divulge stuff. That that's so cool, right? That's, there's some very cool factors to that. Cool points for having, having a role at a company that, Hey, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of trade secrets and stuff. How does that feel to have, you know, effectively you were able to, get promoted and move up based on some stuff that you were doing outside of business, right? Outside of your job uh, that you were being paid for outside of that, you were making waves over here in the off-road world doing EV stuff that was quite separate from what you were doing for your factory job. And that made waves. And now that the, the company identified that they looked at you, they had a conversation with you. They pulled you up in the R and D shop and now they're putting resources behind you. That's got to feel great, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. That I mean, that said, like I, I, I'm mostly just dancing around, not because of anything like super awesome or like some secret that's very, very neat. It's mostly just because I don't, I don't want to get, I just don't know what I can and can't say. So I mean, that, that's all it is. Like, but please believe me, like it's not like I'm working on the new off-road Baja truck or something like that. It's it's not that cool. Promise you. It's just that I, <laughs> I've already, t- I've already put it up on Instagram that you're building a new cyber Baja <laughs> trophy truck, the cyber truck, yeah. the TT, the cyber truck TT yeah. <laughs> piloted by Kyle, Kyle Boston Seglin. Uh, this no, is already out yeah. there. Like, like we're breaking it here first. You heard it here first, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I wish it was that cool. It's, it's not, it's just, I don't, I don't know what I, I, I don't know. Who, don't want to make the wrong waves or something like that. Whatever. I'm just not sure what I can and can't say. No, but you're safe. I, no, for sure. Like I definitely, when I was, when me and my buddies were putting together the electric car in the shop, uh, you know, I was, it was expensive too. I spent a lot of, you know, money on all the parts and everything and the batteries and stuff. And it was like, well, uh, the way I viewed it was, it was like, I'm, I'm putting this on my resume, you know, like, you know, that, that's kind of what I, how I felt like I was sort of buying an education for myself. There was a lot of stuff I, I looked up online and I had to learn. And then there was a lot of lessons and things I needed to learn in the shop, just actually doing it. And, connecting the different components together and it it's not rocket science like i can do it so i mean i think a lot of you know anybody can do it but you just you actually need to get out there and spend the time and it, it took months but it was it was definitely really neat to you know to to then get to race koh and then get uh some opportunities come up from it you know i kind of thought that that might be the case and it was it was neat to have that vindicated well i think you nailed it right bingo right you invested in yourself 
right? You invested in yourself and you capitalized on yourself and you bet on yourself. No one's going to bet on you harder than you betting on your own self, right? Yeah. So, so you did that. And a lot of people don't, right? They, they, they don't have the, the faith in themselves or the, the, or or they understand or know what their self worth is. And you completely invested in yourself and went all in. So I'm very proud of you for that. I mean, I don't know that the medium proud of you is something that you, you, you're, you're okay with, but I was not alone. Like I had that. So my buddy, my buddy, Charlie Pangolin and he, a guy that I met through uh, another buddy, Will, that's where we built the shop. We built the, we built the car in Will's garage and, and this is Will spec, right? Yeah. Yeah. Will spec. He, he helped me out so much. I mean, with all the fab and everything. And then his buddy, Charlie hopped in They're from the Honda. They used to race Hondas together. He helped me out so much with the high voltage and understanding what we can and can't do. When we cracked the first battery open, I was, you know, I had like two pairs of gloves on and I was standing there wild eyed. Like I had no idea what to do. And he kind of walked me through like just showing me where the like. So I got a whole new like perspective on how to think about high voltage. And he was showing me where you can't touch. Like, don't worry, we can you can put your hands all over this battery. You just can't put them right here and right here. Right? Okay. Like, and you know, where do you put a wrench like this? You can put it anywhere except for right here and right here and kind of learning how it all works and making sure that it's fused at all times, just in case you do drop a wrench, those kind of things. Like, okay. So I, I didn't do it on my own. There's no way. No, like, no. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I, I didn't mean to suggest that. I just meant that when it comes to where you're at in your career, exactly like you said, put this on your resume that, that you, you did invest in yourself now. So before we even talk about how, you decide to race, how you end up with your race car, any of that, how did you end up meeting up and flanging up with, uh, with Charlie and Will Speck because of you, I follow Will Speck garage on Instagram. He's God, he's great with content. I love his content. (laughs) So, so how did you flange up with those guys and develop a relationship with them? I I met Will at work, you know, like my first day at work, I I walked in wearing a King of the Hammers t-shirt and I relieved him. Cause it's, it's shift work there. So I, I relieved him and he's like, you go to King of the Amherst. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I know a thing or two about it. And, uh, you know, and we got, we hit it off instantly, you know, and he's just about one of my best friends right now. I mean, I, I do anything for him and his, his whole family's awesome. And uh, we're actually in the podcast room right now. It's like a, it's a, a shed type thing. It's like a nice shed that he built in the backyard for, um, for this kind of thing. So this, this kind of thing and some, um, and obviously some, some automotive stuff. So we'll spec garage follow, we, we, we do, we try to put out as much content as we can on Instagram. I see that. Yeah. And that's where I, you know, a lot of the updates on you actually come from him. Like he's the one who's really on top of keeping your, your message out there. And, uh, man, I really appreciate, I really appreciate Will for that. Um, Tell him thank you for him. Or, or oh, yeah, he's way better at it than I am. I, I don't, <laughs> don't terrible at it. Yeah. Oh, that, that works. Okay. So, so let's, let's dive into this portion of, of the show. I'm so curious about, so you, know, I mean, we're going to talk about your racing. We're going to talk about King of the Hammers. We're going to talk about what you did at, at Baja, the two fifty here recently, but let's talk about how you get to the point to say, Hey, I'm going to race King of the Hammers. I'm going to do it in EV. What am I going to build? And then buying your Toyota, the unit racing from Dave Cole, and then it's history. So that's kind of where I want to go. But so like, what was the Genesis of, was it you and Will sitting around on beanbags and going, Hey, we should race an EV at K- KOH. What, what was it? 
Well, it, it actually started years ago. I've always thought about making an electric crawler. I remember working with Ultra 4 would have long, day, entire days of driving the trailers, you know, to and from a race. And all the all the rigs were hooked up with microphones, uh, not microphones, race radios. And we'd just, you know, kind of be rolling. And there was just like a constant conversation for like 10 hours. Now, it, you wouldn't necessarily always be talking. But what that means is like at any given moment, uh, a radio might just spark up and just have a, a question thrown at you about some rig or some shock or some, uh, you know, some alternator setup at any given time. And people would just, we would just, you know, riff on it. And I was always going back to electric crawlers and the, the advantages you'd have there, especially if you could have four wheel motors and whatever. So, I mean, it's kind of been in my mind for a long time. And then uh, I had a, I had a Toyota crawler with a three O in it and the three O wrecked i wrecked it during like wheeling when all when covid happened in 2020 in the in the in the spring i i wasn't gonna repair the three liter that's like the worst motor ever so i was i was like all right now's finally the time to do it you could buy a nissan leaf for like three grand and then thunderstruck ev has the the standalone control component for 500 bucks it's like all right cool i'm gonna make my toyota electric that's what i'm gonna do it's just gonna be for fun i don't care about range I don't care about anything. I'm just going to make it work kind of enough to get around hammers and just to do it. And then like that, I bought the leaf. I already, I bought it and I was like kind of preparing for it. And then okay. I talked to Dave and Dave was like, we're doing an EV class this year. And it was kind of like, dang, I got to make a race car. How do I do that? And we were talking to Will at work about it. And I was like, well, you know, we didn't really have enough time to make my stock bodied 89 forerunner a race car in you know starting in october and being get in the line in february and i know that bailey's old race car was sitting in the weeds and so i just floated the idea by dave i was like dave what if i converted that car because you know it's already got a chassis it already has race seats and harnesses oh i'd have to get new harnesses but it already but it's you know, already cage. cage it's already linked it's already yeah, it's already got the, it was still, well, it was a stock class car, so it still had um, leaf springs in the back, but it had, it was long travel with Deaver and it had, you know, a Marlin uh, Trans in it and a few other things. I and mean, it's a race car. So, you know, and he was like, do it. I, I couldn't believe how on board he was. He was like, yeah, that's awesome. That The other thing too is that that car is really used up. There is nothing straight on that frame or the pickup points for the front suspension. The arms are jank. Everything about that car is like barely hanging on. It was kind of like, you know, sure, why not? Kind of go for it. It's not. It needed refresh. Like, yeah, it's a way to breathe some new life into it. And then the other thing is that we're, you know, yeah, we're racing, but we're not really going that that fast. So it's like, if you're going to put a V8 in it, you destroy the car instantly. But with a hundred horse ca- hundred horsepower leaf motor you could probably you know get around the course and it might hold up you know so and it's kind of like a new legacy for the car that car's had a lot of awesome hands in it jesus texas jesus built it and uh bailey raced it david ball raced it it's been raced in mexico and then i think it ha- didn't it have success in mexico at a race i th- I feel like maybe david won something in it i don't remember all the yeah. details yeah so Dave and Jesus raced it in the Nora 1000, like right after they built it, they drove from, Tem- it was still street legal. They drove from Temecula in it. They drove to Ensenada or San Felipe, wherever they started the race. And uh, they raced all the way down. They won the class, but then all the, the people in the class got sour about it for whatever reason. And then they drove it all the way back from Cabo to Temecula. It only had like two problems, the whole entire thing. And they were minor, minor. 
So that's, that's such uh, a the, glorious story. Yeah, the car's got a lot of luck. It's got the right kind of mojo going for it. No, oh, yeah, you don't. You can't. You can't buy that kind of mojo. So you yeah. end up, you end up with it. You what do you do? Run down to uh, the ranch there and grab it with a, a trailer and haul it back to San Jose. Yeah, as soon as he said yes, I got it within 24 hours just to make sure he didn't change his mind. Like I went and I flew down with my empty trailer and got it back. Like I'm cutting it apart, and uh, we <laughs> we didn't really cut it apart. We just removed the gas motor and put the put the leaf the leaf in place. Right, the leaf motor. Uh, hooked up to the Toyota Trans and then threw batteries in the bed. It was like, it was pretty simple, really. I mean, we didn't really change the program up that much. We just put an electric motor where the gas motor went and put uh, electric batteries where the gas tank went in the bed. I saw you had to, you know, you know, weld up, uh, you know, a coupler to uh, attach the the leaf, you know, the leaf motor to the front of the, the Toyota transmission. I mean, that, that wasn't yep. anything complicated, but did did you end up saving from the, the perspective of the vehicle? Like, right. You can get rid of the radiator. You can get rid of all these ancillary items, but then you're adding back all these batteries. How do you think the weight did? Did you, did you actually go up in weight and then did all of that end up transferred to the back of the vehicle or how was the setup? It depends on what battery you put in it. So we have like um, a small Nissan leaf battery. That's like the stock one that comes in like the, the, the normal older leafs. It's 24 kilowatt hours. It's a little under 600 pounds. So if you put that in the bed, it actually might be a little less than that. I'm not exactly sure. I should, I should know, but I'm not exactly sure. And then with the, with the, the leaf motor is, is super light. I picked it up off the ground and put it into the, between the fenders myself without an engine hoist. I mean, that's way lighter than a 22R. I can't do oh, that. Yeah. With a, you know, so, I mean, we definitely lost weight in the front and then um we gained rate in the weight in the rear but the the weight was all in front of the rear axle so it still is kind of centered in the car okay with the small battery i bet we lost weight but with the big battery there's we definitely gained weight the big battery is over a thousand pounds that that's like the major fight right now not the fight but that that's what we're kind of waiting on is the battery technology to to kind of catch up yeah and i mean i guess we're not waiting we're doing it but it's as soon as the, 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 the power density gets, gets higher, um, we, we can, you know, really start to go some distances at a, at a higher speed and it'll, uh, it's going to be awesome, but we, we've got to start somewhere, start getting some data and, uh, kind of go from there. You know, you know, you get the car, the truck ready for KOH this past year, Dave, you know, has an EV class. You are in a class of one, but you're running in the EMC and, I guess initially the, the first kind of time I talked to you, I, we didn't talk about this because it was more like high five, man, what a great ultra four, three, you know, ultra three party you got going here, but um, nice to meet you. Hey, let's talk later. But in that world, you guys were completely guessing on range. You had no idea what you were doing for range. So what did kind of your game planning and, and, and how you were going to attack KOH look for, from the outside? Cause you're the first one, right? It's not like, Hey, I put another LS you know, 400 cubic inch LS in, in this car, I put an LS three in, well, those get, you know, five miles to the gallon, you know, thing, things like that. Right. You didn't know what was your swag and how did you arrive there? And then what was your actual? So we, we really didn't have enough time to test the car essentially at all before KOH week, we were just building it. And we knew that going into it again, originally the plan was just to use this. I bought a Nissan leaf and we tore it apart. The battery had a 78% state of health and i like i didn't care because i didn't care about range it was just to do it and enjoy it i don't even care if it got five miles that's enough to get out of camp and get back and just kind of bop around the hammers and enjoy it 
well, now we're going racing. So we procured another 24 kilowatt hour battery locally from Craigslist. And then, you, you know, from Hammertown to pit one is 15 miles. And then you got about 48 miles back to pit one and then 15 miles from pit one back to Hammertown for that 48 mile stretch. Um, I, I had asked Dave if for the EV class, we can get a swap out there. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know how to, how to do this. And he said, no, we're not going to do that. That's part of the challenge. Like figure it out. That's where you get, you know, okay, cool. So we need, we need more capacity. The 2019 and up Nissan Leafs had a 62 kilowatt hour battery. So it's almost triple, you know, I'm pretty close. It's, it's a lot better. We were able to find one in Murfreesboro, Tennessee that they'd shipped to us. And it, it wasn't cheap, but we got it here. We got it torn apart. It was completely different than the other kinds of batteries. It was like laser welded and all this awesome stuff. But we, we found a way to scab it into our system. And then that's also why the car can accept two different styles of batteries. So we had to figure all that out and we had almost no time to do it, but we, we got it together and got it in the trailer. We ended up bringing way more battery than we needed. Okay. That's not a bad thing though, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Basically the way I kind of figured what we'd need, it's, it's super simplistic. It's nap, it's napkin math. You know, uh, the Nissan Leaf gets about three and a half to four kilowatt hours per mile when it's driving, uh, miles per kilowatt hour when it's driving. And the same car, which would be like a Nissan Versa, if it had a gas engine in it, gets about 40 miles to the gallon, roughly. I asked Bailey Cole and I asked Texas Jesus and Dave, what, what, is, what did that 4654 car get? And they, they said it got eight to nine miles to the gallon with the 22R in it. Well, that's about a quarter. That's about a quarter of what a Nissan Versa gets on the pavement. Okay. So that's kind of where I figured it. It's, gonna, it's probably going to get about a quarter of three and a half to four miles per kilowatt hour. So we might get about one mile per kilowatt hour. Okay. That's about what we've been seeing, depending yeah. on how hard you drive it. And so you were dialed in, like you actually, even though it was back of the envelope math and a complete guesstimate, turns out you guys were pretty close. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, a lot of it has to do with how you're driving it and then what the terrain is specifically. Like if you're going to leave Hammertown and you're going to drive towards like towards Chocolate Thunder, but then take a left and, and then stay in the low part of the valley, turn around and come back, then you're you're going to do a lot better. Then if you left Hammertown and went to the right and went up like Pummel Pass, let's say, and then like towards Giant Rock, you went up to Pummel Pass, turned around and came back. You're going to get way worse range doing that because you don't really realize it in a gas car. But what you did was you just gained 500 feet of elevation and that you basically raised the weight of the vehicle 500 feet. And that takes a lot of juice. So it, it every little bit of the terrain counts and Every time you hit the throttle, you need to be conscientious of it. And that's how you're going to get the, the good range, you know? Well, you touched on something there that, I, that I've never thought about when I think about mileage. You said you raised the weight of the vehicle 500 feet. And that's the, yeah, that's the right way to think about it. But I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s and I just recognize this, right? You go up a mountain pass in your gasser, well, you use gasoline or diesel or whatever it is to raise the weight of the vehicle to that elevation. It's totally different than if you just drove straight, you know, on, on a flat piece of pavement, you know? So, I mean, that's kind of what KOH is. It's a challenge because not only are you going through sand, which adds a lot of friction or rocks, which are like a different, it's a different way of thinking about mileage, but there's a ton of elevation change up and down. You go up and down all day. 
And that's, that's, there's a lot of juice there. You know I mean? It's like trying to climb stairs 45 times in one day, you know, different sets of stairs. It's like, it's way worse than just trying to run for 20 miles, you know? Yeah. So, so it can be. So, so that would be that you, right. You're going to get in theory on the desert lap on the desert loop at KOH, your mileage should be a lot better than on a crawl lap, a rock lap. Right. Or, yeah. And I mean, it could be, there's more to it though. Cause there, there you're, you're going to have more slip in the desert. You know, I mean, there's like different ways that it kind of pans out, but for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think that goes without saying, right. Because in the rocks, you're not, you're, you're not going to be running higher RPMs. So you're not going to be running, you know, a bunch of juice off of it at the same time, but at the same, I mean, do they probably, now that you have some numbers, do they kind of even out in the wash or is depending on the course depends on kind of how, where you're going to utilize more battery than less battery. So something that's neat about the electric motors is that it's not the same as a gas engine in that it necessarily burns more juice at higher RPMs. It's all about load. It's just just like a vacuum on your, on your gas engine. Like that tells you how much fuel you're using, you know, but like with a, with a gas engine at higher RPMs, you're obviously burning more juice. That's not as prevalent with electric motors. You can run them at 6,000 RPM all day if you don't have a load on it. It's a very, very small draw comparatively. It's it's just all about the kind of load you put on it. And they also run very, very cool. Like we, didn't, we don't even have a fan on the car. And we just cycle water through the radiator every now and then. And that keeps it cool enough because they're so efficient compared to a gas engine. So there's a lot of like upsides. There's lots of advantages we're seeing and we want to improve upon as we, as we improve our program. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, th- and this been, th- that portion has been super enlightening. And so now you enter KOH, you enter the MC. Did you complete all, like, I feel like you didn't complete the entire course, but you completed the two laps, but that was all the EV had, or what was the, what was the layout that ultra Ford set up for you this year? Cause I know there's a big they, celebration. I just wasn't, I was a little confused around what, what the celebration was for. Yeah. So they, we would just race in the, the single lap, the, the desert lap. Uh, we didn't have to go out for the rocks. That was the EV course this year, you know? And so we got the win, I, you know, I, that, that's what it was. We got the trophy. That's what the, the course was. And it, it feels awesome, but we belong in the rocks. I, that's what ultra four is all about. That's what King of the hammers is all about. Next year, we're going in the rocks for sure. Okay. Uh, or at least I, I am, if I can help it. Yeah, we definitely we definitely want to go in the rocks. We want to go further. And Well, no, that, I think that makes sense. Okay, so th- th- that's why I was, I think I was confused about when I was following you that day was that I never saw you go to the rocks and they called, you know, oh, you finished and you won. I was like, wait, you know, I, I, I didn't recognize that there was a different, I mean, don't get me wrong, a different course. It was the same course. It was just abbreviated. You didn't have to go back out. And, and so how many hours did that take for you to get from green flag to checker flag for you? I think it was knocking on, it was over seven and a half. I think it was, it was over seven and a half for sure. It might've been closer to 10. I should know, but I don't, we had about two and a half hours of downtime with a steering issue. We, we broke something, uh, a, a clevis on the steering rack. And it was actually so cool. Another team had the, we brought the, we were bringing spare parts to them on course. We were asked at, uh, at, at pit. And then when we broke, we looked in the bag and we had the exact part we needed was in there. We, we installed it on the car. We got to them and they didn't need that part. That was just a bonus thrown in by their crew. So they had the part they needed. We both got on course. It was car 74 Hollingsworth racing, the 4,800 car. 
it was it was so neat that uh, that their team had what we needed and helped us out with it. What are the odds, right? Yeah, we, me and my sister, my sister was co-driving for me. When we looked in the bag, we we freak was like, oh my god, is that really it? And we we put the car together, and I was so nervous when we started rolling again because we hadn't got to them yet. I was like, Dale, we're. <laughs> We we what are we gonna say when we get there? And she says, "Well, we got to bring the part to him, right? We're bringing the part to him. We'll figure it out when we get there." And I was like, "Oh, all right." And uh, yeah, it, they they didn't need that one. They needed a different part in the bag. So they they were all set. We both got bolted up, and we and we took off. It was awesome. Well, you alluded to it. You brought her up, and we didn't talk about you know family early on, but uh, siblings. Walk us through your siblings. Oh man, so it's me, and then Delia and Heather. They are awesome. They are, oh man, they are the best. Delia is, uh, she, she did the same thing I did. Uh, you know, well, we grew up together, like really tight. We spent a lot of time together and we're just, uh, getting all kinds of trouble together. And then, you know, later as we got older, she, she did the, uh, marine engineering, like I was trying to do. She, she completed it and she, she's actually on a ship right now. She's a, a second. She's sailing as a second now keeping the, the propeller spinning on a cargo ship. I think it is for this hitch. Heather, she's in Alabama right now. She's in, uh, she's in flight school for the army. She's going to fly Blackhawks. Oh, very cool. And, uh, yeah, they are the best. I, I love my sisters. They are, they're, they're just very, very rad individuals. They kind of, they inspire me all the time. I love spending time with them. We don't we don't get to spend that much time together anymore. Uh, but they always come out for King of the Hammers. Uh, Delia's been three of the four years I have, or something like that. And Heather's worked for KOH twice now. She's you'll see her around. She's uh, kind of volunteering in a way. Or she was a it was her internship the first year. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so was, Ultra think, Four offers internships. I think she was the first one. I think she was the first ultra four intern and she, yeah, she had to write up a report and submit it to her school and everything. She was, she was the first intern. And I think unless someone else claims it, maybe they, maybe, maybe they were, but no, I think she was, oh, yeah. oh, man, they just kick so much ass. I, I love them to death and uh, they're, they're badass. Well, considering I've never even heard of ultra four having an intern, I'm going to, I'm just going to go with your word on that, that they, that she's first because why why not i you know this is this is new this is kind of cool yeah they they do sound awesome so which one of your which delia or heather co-piloted for you co-drove for you at koh this year delia did and she was she kicked ass like we had she doesn't have any experience with co-driving i didn't have any experience with driving in a race you know of course either of us and she she handled the lead nav and uh, we were just using my cell phone for lead nav and uh she was great and was um i don't know she was just awesome when we broke she was the two of us worked great mechanically to try to get the the fix going it was just super fun and heather actually waved the green flag and the checkered flag for us it was just a really neat moment you know oh total family affair wow so you guys are in there you guys get your finish you've won the elation of your completing being not only the first ev class competitor in ultra four racing, but the first one to, to complete a course and win your class. And I know there's always the joke, like, aha, uh-huh, you like, you're, yeah, you want a class of one, but in your case, right. I think that's a little different, right? It's the kind of the way I think of it is like, we accomplished the challenge, right? Like that's, that was the challenge for this year. If there was more cars then it would have been a race, you know, you know, so I, I, yeah, that's kind of, that's just kind of how I feel about it. I want competition. 
uh, real bad. And so when we heard that there was going to be another electric car entering in an off-road race, we found a way to make it happen. We had to cross international borders to get there. Well, that's a great segue into that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a former coworker, you know, friend of mine, uh, her name's Danita Park. She works at NRG Energy here in Houston, and she would see kind of my my LinkedIn post about various things. And I, you know, I put money down or a, a, a deposit down and ordered a Nicola, the Nicola Badger. And yeah. I think that, that, that meant to some people, I didn't like, the, I didn't like the cyber truck. Sorry. Sorry, Tesla. It oh, just, it, it, it was yeah. just kind of ugly. I did really like the way Elon Musk handled the breaking, the shattering of the window at the unveil, like he shattered the window. He didn't try to cover up. He just turned around and goes, well, that, like, that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work out the way I expected it to. Yeah. I think we've got some work to do here. I didn't like from the aesthetic standpoint, but that wasn't the reason why I decided to, to get behind the Nicola. The Nicola is, I thought was a much better, better looking truck from aesthetic version. But for me, it was the batteries coupled with this hydrogen fuel cell that they were claiming they were going to come out with. As we know, Nicola is not going to go forward with their truck and the Badger program. And we all got our, our deposits back on new trucks, but I'd love to hear your take on hydrogen, uh, the potential for a hydrogen fuel cell. And if you think that that's something that will make its way into off-road racing and extending the range of say your vehicle or your solid vehicle or other future racers and what that looks like before we kind of talk about um, your head to head challenge. So with, the fuel cells are really neat and I, I'm not, I know a bit about how they work. I'm not, I'm not an expert on it. I'm not exactly, there's a, I have a lot of questions about it. Um, I've actually met ever since King of the, from King of the Hammers, I met this guy, Joe up in uh, Oregon, Joe Merrill. And he, uh, he is more of an expert on the hydrogen fuel cells. And we've been talking a lot. We, basically there's a, there's an overarching issue with hydrogen fuel cells and it depends on which way you want to look at it. When it's from a racing perspective, then sort of none of this matters. But let's just go from a transportation perspective or passenger vehicles or whatever you want to call them. If you're going to charge a battery using hydrogen in a hydrogen fuel cell, then the issue with hydrogen is that it doesn't have a lot of energy you know, for its mass. So you need to compress it. To compress it, it takes a lot of electricity that you have to run a pump to compress it. And then it needs to go into a special container, a right. very high-pressure can vessel and that those are complicated to make they take a lot of energy to make and then what you're doing with that hydrogen is you're running it through a fuel cell which are pretty cool it's it's got a cathode and an anode and it separates the electron from the hydrogen and you pass it through the battery and that's how it charges the battery right your only emission is h2o which is water which is awesome like it's it's very clean and hydrogen's super abundant like it i get it it's it's clean the issue is that you have to compress the hydrogen and you have to store it into something that takes a lot of energy to create, which in all you're doing really is charging a battery. You, so you still have to have a battery vehicle. Is yeah, that it can be, be hydrogen solo, But then right? you have to have all this other stuff, you know? Okay. That, that's, so, so we may get there, but there's a lot of other issues and a lot of other quite, you know, uh, deal killer uh, level hurdles in between here and there. I agree. Yeah. And if there was some way to, you know, separate the hydrogen from water, whether it be out of the ocean, you have to do it in a sustainable manner. You can't just like drink all the ocean water up. Like you have to make it make sense. And if you could do it for, you know, 
in a light fashion that could and get it compressed, then for sure, I mean, that would be dope because then cars can go a long way. I mean, the new Toyota Mirai has 400 miles on a fill-up. I was actually looking at maybe getting one of those because when it comes to racing, what I would do is bring that down to King of the Hammers and run a plug off of it, off of the fuel cell, and charge my batteries that way. Okay. And then, then, the, then the electric race car, when it's on the course, I could say that it's powered by hydrogen, which is renewable. So all the energy spent by the race car on course would be renewable. And that's kind of where my mind's going with this program. I want to try to find – because we charge our batteries by generator, you know, a gas generator. I want to get away from that. I want to try to find a way to at least say that all the energy spent by the car on course uh, was renewable. And there's a lot of different ways to try to solve that puzzle. Still working on it. So don't have the hot ticket yet. And, but and I'm, I'm with you on that. Like the, the, the claim to green. Now, I green, let, let's say zero carbon footprint on the race racing itself. But, you know, I don't want to get into the argument about what the carbon footprint is of everything to make up to get to the point right. where you get to take the flag because we, we've got some issues there and some stuff around that. But sure. I want to go, go back to that. So I, I, I really like the Nicola. And so I put down the deposit and my friend, uh, you know, former coworker, Danita has seen this. She's followed me. And then she sees, you know, kind of the KOH stuff. And, uh, she invites me to go tour the, check out the Lordstown and the Lordstown was really everything for me that I kind of wanted. Like I, it was, it was a Silverado, Silverado chassis. So I'm thinking about this and see my feeble mind on this. Okay. There's already an aftermarket for long travel suspensions for the Silverado platform. So <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to, and I was looking for a commuter vehicle at the time. So I'm, I'm like, I'm currently commuting in my, uh, my pre rent, you know, on forties. That's fun. That truck parties. It's a blast. You know, uh, I love driving it in traffic, but to just go put 90 miles on it every single day, wearing out a truck that really that's not what I own it for and, and want to use it for. Mm. So, so I'm looking for something else, looking at alternatives. And so, so she invites me to, uh, be NRG's guest at the Lordstown unveiling here in Houston. So I checked this thing out. I'm like, okay, this is basically a Silverado with a classy body. You know, it, you know, it's still Silverado and, uh, but it's got these wheel motors and I'm pretty enamored with the wheel motors. I'm like, okay, this is, this is cool. Okay. I'm kind of cool. Yeah. I'm kind of liking where this is going. And and you brought it up earlier when you're talking about, Hey, I'd like an electric crawler. And if you could get the torque at the corners and you could get the weight, right. You can get the, the, the difference that we have in all of our, our RFO cards is sprung versus unsprung weight. You're working with Wayne Israelson on tuning shocks. It's sprung versus unsprung. And then off-road ultra four style racing, where it's a 40 inch tire going, traveling up and down. It's a fight, you know, uh, and if we can move all this weight now down there, now this 40 inch tire weighs a lot more because we have motors down there. It's a new challenge, but we've simplified the whole truck. There's no drive shafts. There's no, there's so many things that go away. So Danita sees this and uh, you know, the, 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 what I was interested in, she gets me involved in Lordstown, but then we talk about King of the hammers and I've, you know, about the talent tank show. And so she starts following you at King of the hammer. So I have this, you know, corporate America friend that, you know, works in the energy industry that is now absolutely texting me and cheering you on from the sidelines for KOH. You know, we introduced this whole new person to this whole world where, oh my gosh, EVs are racing and she's a Tesla, you know, she's, she's on the, on the Tesla bandwagon. I, I love her for that. I'm not yeah. necessarily the, the, I'm not the biggest fan of the EVs, but I see 
that one day we're going to get there. And I'd like to, I, I kind of would like to be an early adopter. So sorry, that was such a tangent to get off on Kyle. But as we talk about the Lord's town, it was this great segue to being, you guys see that there's going to be another EV vehicle at the score Baja 250 and it's Lord's town and you guys throw in your hat in the ring. So talk about that story. Let's, let's go down that path and how exciting that kind of whole event was. We had just, you know, we finished KOH and it was awesome and thinking about racing more. It was right after that, pretty close that they, they put out that they were going to race the same Felipe 250. You know, I, I don't know. I saw the, I saw it, I saw the press release or whatever, and I didn't think too much of it. I thought that, oh, that's cool. And then kind of grew on me. And I, I, I texted Dave. I was like, Dave, you seen this? What do you think about this? Should we be racing these guys? And he was like, let's go, let's do it. And that started the conversation and we started to put together what we would need to do to make it happen. We already knew a lot about what we needed to do. And that was our strong suit, like open trailers, a pre runner. And, you know, we already had the rigs, you know, the tow trucks to make it happen. Yeah. And we knew San Felipe. And the main thing was that we didn't really have the batteries to run 250 plus miles straight in a day. We actually couldn't even, use the batteries, take those out of the car, put fresh batteries in and then charge the batteries on the trailer as they're going down the highway to the next hit to have them ready to go. We didn't have enough time in between in between pits to get to keep the car charged. So we needed a shit ton of batteries is what we needed. We needed like more than is usual in uh That in, is a scientific in, measurement as well. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. That's what we needed. And we actually, that's how we, we got linked up with EV West, uh, the, uh, Mike at EV West. He was super cool down in SoCal. And we went and, uh, said hi in person and he had a, a ton of these batteries. They were actually Tesla cells that were made for the EV smart car. And he had them sh- sitting in plywood boxes on shelving. And, you know, we told him what we wanted to do. He's, he's in a racing. He actually, I think holds the electric record today for Pike's peak. I'm not, don't, I'm not quite exactly sure about that, but he did for sure when he ran it, uh, years ago okay. and he's actually seeking, I think they definitely hold the land speed record for electric vehicles that they set this year. So they're, they're all about racing and like hanging out at his shop down there, uh, in, man, I forget the town, San Marcos. Awesome guy. And it was like, well, here are the batteries. We can borrow them. We'll return them in aluminum enclosures that are useful for racing so that if another race team would like to use them for whatever they want, they're now in something that's like a, you know, a tough box with like a, a a heavy duty plug on the side so that they can uh, make their car go. Okay. Yeah. So kind of making this, uh, we're we're moving towards a world where kind of making them universal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, better than sitting in plywood boxes in a warehouse, let's set them up in aluminum boxes. And if someone wants to make a race car, well, here's an empty aluminum box. Here's your dimensions, you know, whatever, go ahead and build your car around this. And then when you get to the race, you know, either pick up the boxes on your way, you know, with the batteries in them, or maybe they'll be there. I, you know, we, it's, it's sort of a, uh, organic conversation we were having with, uh, with EV West. And, uh, so we got a, a, all, uh, man, tons of them. Uh, it wasn't cheap, but we didn't really, we kind of rented them, right? We didn't have to buy them. And we put them together in these aluminum boxes, team Baker, fab, Derek, Derek Baker, Chad, Britton, 
Danny, Danny Yeager, Berlin and Gianna and Vanessa helped me out so much with putting these things together. Like there's no way I could have done. We, we crammed for three days before we left for Mexico with just trying to get these things, 21 boxes. We had to put six modules in each, get them all charged up and get them assembled. It was insane. Laser nut cut the, cut the aluminum and had it bent up for us. That was like, that was the real push of the Baja effort was getting those boxes together. And then, yeah, then we went down there and gave him hell. Well, that's cool. Co- you know, Cody shows up, you know, uh, with the laser net stuff and helps you guys out. But team Baker fab, I mean, that crew was all there at that ultra three night. And I mean, they are the epitome of ultra four racing. They are, they're the folks, right? I think so. I, we, we're, we're pretty hardcore. Like that's, if it, if it has to do with racing and if it's worthwhile, we're all in like, that's it. Absolutely. Like it was, it was an insane effort by, uh, by everybody there at team Baker. We, we, we got it done. It was tough. There's three days of, of, uh, some torture, but we got what we needed done. We made the, the zip line system out of the trophy truck trailer to get the, the batteries in and out of the race car. We found a way to mount the boxes in the race car. Like the amount of fab that went down in three days was just insane. Like it couldn't, it couldn't have, I didn't need friends. I needed the right friends and I had them. That's the only way I got it done. Yeah. The, uh, that was one thing that was impressive. And I actually shared that to my LinkedIn on this was how you did your, your refueling. Right. And you guys built this kind of a gantry system that rolled down the center of the, uh, the, the race trailer. And you basically lifted them up and you called it a zip line. I think that's the exact great word for it. You, you would winch up each, the box. How much, how much did each box weigh? 262 pounds. Yeah. So an, enough that they would suck to carry. You could do it, but a couple guys, but it's still, but you it still barely sucked. do it Two two strong backs could do it, but it's not fun. No, no, it, it, it we'll, we'll Whoop your ass. So you, and then you guys gantry them down and get them to the, the tailgate of the 4854 and you just slid them in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we put a, we put a, an eye hook on the race car, like on the trailer, on the race cage. And so when the, the race car would back up to the trailer, you, you hook the winch to it. And when the winch draws tight, it, you now have a zip line. And with, that's how we got the old ones out and the new ones in, uh, with relative, it was way easier than trying to do it manually, but we did have two pits that had to be done manually. And that's where, um, Poncho and Jorge, uh, guys from Code racing down in Mexico. And then they had a whole bunch of, uh, guys to help them. We did it manually with, with like pry bars and just muscle. And we got the, we got the batteries out and in when we needed to. And I can't say enough about those guys too. They helped us out so much on the effort to, to get that done. Talk to that race. It was a 250 mile race. You guys DNF'd, but I think you guys made it like about 180 miles and through in the 157, 157. 157. And you guys had some, uh, you guys were fighting some electrical gremlins is what I'd heard. So, yeah. So the car was great all day. Like we never met Lordstown up until we were getting, we were staging for the, for the, to take off. And then, uh, so we saw their truck and they were, you know, sitting over there and we went, we, we were 50 yards away or so. And, uh, they came like the co-driver and uh, a Brenthal guy and another guy came out and said, hi, and we were shooting the shit with them. And it was all mutual. Like I was like, oh yeah, you guys, stuff is awesome. And they were like, you guys, stuff is awesome. Like it was, it was really cool. You know, can't wait to get out there. 
we're going to butt heads when we're out there. We're racing, but for sure, like what you guys got going on is, is, is great. So we're on the same page there. And then we took off from the line. We passed them in the first mile cause they were stopped on the side of the road for some reason. And then, uh, they followed us through zoo road and then they passed us again. We had a navigational issue, but then at mile 40, we were like, our car was almost dead on juice and we were just barely getting a pit. And they were stuck on the side of the road. They were getting hooked up to a Raptor to get pulled off. And we pulled over to talk to them. And, you know, they were like, our car's dead. And I'm like, yeah, mine is dead too. But I only got a half a mile to go to get a battery swap. So we we swapped our batteries and we kept going. They they took hours and hours of charging or whatever they were doing. I don't know. It wasn't my concern. That's what I saw. It was like they had a box truck with a generator in it. And they were just yeah. chilling. I think from what I saw about their, their effort, like, I really do think that where they're at with hub motors, I still think that's going to be the, the, the way of the future. I really do think that what I saw of their truck was total work of art. It totally gives me faith that we can build long travel, <laughs> a long travel pre-runner truck for it. Somebody somewhere already has the front knuckles already, uh, CAD design. So we just got to hit enter on a, a five axis mill and, 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 you know, cut some out, but I think they hadn't thought through the, the charging battery situation, the way you had, like you were so much further advanced in this modular design where you could plug and unplug and they weren't. Yeah, that for sure. Like two different strategies. And to be honest, I think the, the best solution is to fast charge the car. I don't think it it's to do it the way that they were attempting to do it. Uh, it would be awesome to be able to create a car with, around the batteries so you can set them in the chassis the way you want and wire them in really really good some things that you know you introduce when you have 21 different batteries is that's so many more wiring connections you know you could have failures there so if you could set up the car where you could fast charge it i think that's the ticket it's just it's it's a difficult thing to it's a difficult nut to crack i don't think they quite cracked it yeah we swapped them out it was awesome we went we went uh, pretty good i think the car was going good all day everything was working and then we had uh an issue where we ran it ran it dead and then from then on we were popping fuses i think we might have damaged the inverter on the motor and then from then on we were running too much current through the system we were, yeah it was yeah it was like working too hard so it's kind of like i don't know how else to put it almost like running with flat tires now your engine's working hard and it's overheating so I think we damaged the inverter. So we were running it too hard. We we're drawing too much current and we we're popping fuses. I mean, well, that's, you know, like Jason Shear, right? He popped two rear tires at KOH. And so maybe his mileage went up, but then they also didn't get a, get a full load of gas. So, but that aside, but right. That's kind yeah, of a, a little of the two. It's yeah. a little bit, you know, it's, it's kind of like in the air about exactly what, yeah. You didn't get a finish uh, in score, but what you did was you went you know, uh, 113 miles further than a seven figure effort, right? Yeah. It would have been cool to have those seven figures. We could have, uh, I definitely think we could have made the 250. For you, sure. you, you, <laughs> it, it would have been different, but I mean, you guys, you guys made, you did make, make history and what, where I saw in the online presence of history, cause that was a crazy day for racing. We had, a, a, a there was ultra four going that day. Plus Goodby had a race going at NorCal that day. Plus there was chasing you. So if anyone, you know, that Saturday was, uh, it was a busy day for, for motorsports and basically following you and seeing your success down there was kind of cool to see it online. Like, you know, uh, uh, Austin fish Farner with fish logistics was giving, you know, he's giving trophy truck updates and he's giving 
shit box updates. And that was so cool. Like that, I appreciate the hell out of Fish Marner. Like that was dope. That was that was really neat to be on Fish Just like as much as we were. Like, yeah, it was really fun. I really think it's neat. this 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 embracing, right? It's embracing of of. Well, <laughs> you're cool. I mean, you're a cool dude, and you exude this this. uh I don't know this aura that people like to be around. They, they like that you are the one pushing limits and, and I called you a pioneer in the field earlier on. I know you were humble about that, uh, but you kind of, you kind of are. And I think that's what, you know, I think that's what Baja racing is to begin with. It's this challenging of the environment, challenging of the classes, challenging, you know, and, and you're doing that with an EV and people are like, wow, that's this guy. He's embodying the challenges and he's rising to the occasion we have nothing but to cheer for him. I find that fun. Oh. Yeah, that, I, that's it. I mean, it's just me, me and my friends, like trying to do something rad. I mean, you know, like that. Uh, pretty simple, pretty simple equation. Like, let's, you know, as long as everybody's good, as our family's healthy, everything's all right. Then let's. What else can we do? Well, geez, let's make an electric race car and go race it, you know, <laughs> something well, like that. And, and, <laughs> you know? and, you know, like you said early on, you know, invest, or I said about you was the whole invest in yourself. It did what you've done actually pushed your career further forward and, and, and changed where you were, uh, what you're working, what you're doing from, from a career standpoint. I'm, I'm excited for where racing takes you. I'm excited for where your career takes you. I'm excited for, you know, does that take you back to the the East Coast? And if it does take you back to the East Coast, what do you think you're going to do for work there? And what do you think you're going to do for racing there? Are you going to start like EV circle tracking it? I mean, what's the what's the goal? <laughs> uh, geez, I don't know. Because yeah, the the racing in the East Coast is nothing like out here. Like, but back home when I was when we were racing with my cousin, we we do demolition derbies at a third mile paved oval track. It was figure eight with jumps in the middle. Like we were jumping into each other with pickup trucks, like <laughs> in a paved oval. It's completely different than what we do uh, out here. I mean, I, I I don't really know. I'd be honest with you, like kind of just shooting from the hip, making it up as I go. It'd be really cool to bring ultra four style or, or any, any sort of, you know, four, unlimited four wheel drive off-road racing to new England. Like, I think there is a thirst for it, even if that thirst hasn't been is hasn't been realized yet. I, it, it's up there for sure. I mean, we got Vermonster, which is like a mega truck race uh, or weekend that happens up in in Vermont, and it, there's some stuff. But I, I I think that there's some rocks up there that could be found. Uh, I don't think you're going to get an 80 mile loop like you would out on the West Coast. But I think I, I think there's there's uh, some potential up there. So. I can see that. Uh, do you remember when they did frozen rush, when Red Bull would do frozen rush, they bring the pro fours. Oh man, I missed it. I was, I almost went to that weekend. I almost made it. I, I did miss it. I wish they would bring that back. I mean, like we were making plans. I think they did two years in a row. And then, so the third year we were all making, there was a group of us making plans to go up there and go freeze our asses off. And I think it's in Maine. I think that's yeah, what I see where it was yeah. on a ski slope and they're racing, you know, pro fours up and down the ski slope. And I heard it was just the best thing since sliced bread. Then it just went away. And that was, that was that. And that was, wow, that, that, that sucked. So Kyle, what is, what's the next race for you in your truck? What's the plan? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not sure (laughs) the idea would be not necessarily to race that truck. I'd, I'd like to put something together that makes a little bit more sense. 
for okay. what we're doing. The main two takeaways that we've learned is that the truck is heavy and it has pretty limited suspension. I guess the third would be that it's recognizable and it's kind of cool. Like it's a, it's a Toyota. It's a Toyota truck. Lots of people like that. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I do for sure. But if we wanted to go faster and further, we'd need to shed some weight and increase the suspension, not necessarily because we want to go a lot faster, which we do, but it's mostly so that we can maintain momentum at a smoother pace. So you're not on the accelerator as much during the day. You're mostly just trying to maintain your momentum and that'll allow you to go a lot farther in the rough stuff. So the next race for us, if we get to put together something that looks a lot better, potentially like a side-by-side chassis, probably when it's ready, which at this point might be KOH or, or earlier. But if we're going to race the Toyota again, it's it's likely going to be at the Mint. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Okay. It's a, it's a lap race. It's got multiple pits. We I've already worked out some battery with the EV West. That'd be pretty neat. And it's also Vegas, and it's uh, that, that'd be that'd be really really cool. And you know, it's the mint. Yeah, let's just yeah. go that. It's the mint. And then I did see my, uh, the Martelli brothers did come out. They've launched it. They're going to have an EV class as well, right? Yeah, I'm, I bet they did. Even if they didn't, whatever, would try to put in for it. I mean, they'd have to tell us not to if they if they didn't want us in there. But yeah, for sure, we'd, we we at this point we'll, we'll we'll enter any class that we need to. But that that gives us enough time to actually get that car set up better, you know, and try to figure out a charging system because we'll need to for that one, 400 miles. Yeah, right. Everything that surrounds the Mint, you know, the Fremont experience and Vegas in in general and hopefully doing it like not under the auspice of COVID will will be fine. Well. Yeah. I I hope it's all blown away by then. Jeez, I'm over it. I'm over it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Boston Kyle. We're at the part of the show where did did you cover everything? Did I cover everything for you that we wanted to kind of talk about that you wanted to get off your chest? I got something. I want to take a page out of Adam Shear's book. Let's go. I want to talk about Massachusetts. <laughs> you wanted to talk about Texas. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, I mean, let's it, talk to me it, about mass. It's, it's a, it's a really great state. It's got a lot to offer. The far, far East is Provincetown, which is like an old, old uh, uh, seaport and then it goes around the around Cape Cod which is kind of like an arm sticking off of Massachusetts and this just it's its own thing out there there's lots of great beaches and it's uh oh, they're all about the seafood out there most of mass is eastern mass is all about the seafood Boston is a, a town full of history you take the Liberty Walk it's basically just a, a red line on the pavement uh, the, on the sidewalk that goes around and shows you historical sites and the town itself. If you ever find yourself in Mass in, in Boston, try to try to link up with a with a Red Sox game at Fenway Park. And I don't even like baseball. It, it's just an atmosphere that happens at Fenway Park. It, I think it's America's oldest ballpark. Even if you don't care at all about baseball, go check it out. Sit through a few innings and and take it out. It's it's like a living museum. It's it's really neat. And the town itself is super inviting. It's small enough you can get around it easy, but it's big enough that it's a it's a real city. And then you go out to Western Mass and everything changes. It's like you're 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 out there, you know. It's 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 east. It's it's very uh, dense east deciduous forest, and um, it's a totally different atmosphere from the east to the west part of Mass. I love the state I'm from, and all of New England in general. Northern Vermont in the fall for the leaves is some is a sight to behold. Like never seen anything like it. I'm from Mass. I know what leaves leaves changing looks like. 
But northern Vermont in the fall is something else. And then Maine in the winter is it's great for snowboarding and uh, snowmobiling around. Like, yeah, I, I love New England. I love Massachusetts. And if you ever, you've never been there and you get the chance, go for it. Let me know when you're there. I, I might be able to have some tips for you. I'm going to get tips from you because our, our kids have, they have a fall break now. It's in October. We have, they have a four-day break. And our plan is to go do the Northeast. And based on where it falls, we stand a pretty good chance of catching the leaves. And so talking to uh, Will Gentile, he's there in you know Connecticut. And the thought is that we would fly into Boston. We would do Boston. We would loop through Connecticut basically to check off Connecticut off our, off our list. Cause otherwise we would never, never get there, but try to see Will while we're there and then loop North and try to hit up uh, there through New Hampshire and Vermont and then try to fly home out of Maine is kind of the loose plan that my wife's working on, but I will hit you up because I'm, I need, I need the details of the, the, the inside scoop. And usually if they've got this four day, four days off or whatever, we'll add a day on the beginning and the end for travel. So we will, uh, you know, we'll get, you know, a night on the front end, you know, probably in Boston, then we'll do a little bit there. And then my family is good. Like the four of us, we will throw some miles on a rental car so we can check the boxes and see the sites and see the place. And then when we get back, it's like, we need a vacation from our vacation, but we will have seen it. So yes, you're, you will be, you're on my short list for uh, people. I need to call about that. Well, that sounds awesome, man. You can't, you can't, can't go wrong in the fall uh, up in new England. Like it's just, it's one of the times when it really shines. It's great. I've lived in the West coast for a while now and I can't, I I just miss new England, you know, it's part of it Uh, for, for real seasons, really strong seasons just a different vibe out there. It's, it's, uh, it's badass. Awesome. So that's how I know you're a fan of the show. You've listened to so many and that you remembered, you know, the Adam Shearer thing, and you've thought to bring it up here at the end, but I know you're, you, you told me you're a couple episodes behind here at the end of where we're at. So you might not have heard everything I've input. I've changed something starting at good B. So you probably heard it at the end of good B's was yep, heard good top three songs that are kind of important to you right now in life or just top three that you can just, no matter where you're at, when it comes on, it takes you to a certain place where you're like, that was a great time in life or that was whatever. Top three songs, go. That's a tough one. Uh, obviously, you know, everyone knows why that's a tough one. That's like, you know, favorite three cars or whatever. You can't really do it. But uh, I guess coming in at third would be Them Shoes by Patrick Sweeney. Uh, Patrick Sweeney, sorry. It's just got this... Uh, sort of thing to it that I can't get out of my head. I love it. That's one of my favorite songs, them shoes. The second would be anything by tool. Like tool is my favorite band. I don't even, I I like music. I don't necessarily love music. I mean, I guess I do, but I don't think about it that much. I don't have my own stuff on my phone. I don't, when I'm driving, I'll drive for 10 hours and have the radio silent and just be, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just talking to myself, I guess, just thinking in my head. But Tool is different for me. All, basically, all of Tool's music is like my favorite. It's super influential. I think the lyrics are dope and the music is even doper. Like that's that's my thing. I'll interrupt there. So Danny Carey, the drummer for Tool, is from the booming metropolis of Paola, Kansas, where Miles Asakist is from and myself is yeah. from. Danny, Danny's, you know, one of Danny's best friends, uh, uh, was, you know, friends of our family. And so my mom uh, would travel out to, to LA with him and they would rip it in LA. And then he had a place in Ensenada 
And they, cool. and so my, my mom is vacationed with Danny Carey, uh, you know, the, the, the drummer from tool I've met him a handful of times and, uh, and it used to be, you know, this is 10 years ago. I had an, an basically an email address for him that he, if, if they were playing anywhere in South Texas, I could shoot an email to the address and there'd be, I'd get tickets at will call and then backstage passes, but th- that band never comes back to the backstage. So the backstage passes were never worth anything. So people be like, Oh, I got backstage to tool. Okay. Well you went and sat in a room and waited for the band that was, they were never going to come. Cause that's not what they, they would ever do, but yeah, they're just, they're very different in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that is the I have no connections to any other band that I can think of. But but Tool, yeah, Danny <laughs> Carey, uh, just just an amazing drummer, and I mean he's he's like one of the top ten drummers of all time, and I find him pretty fascinating. I'm not a super big Tool fan, but I'm I am super super big fan of Undertow. That whole album, I don't know if it's just the, the time of life where I listened to it and I liked every song on it but everything kind of after I've really not been great. You know, it just hadn't, hadn't spoken to me, but yeah, man, I can see that. There's a lot of people that are a hardcore, hardcore tool, like, and I can see why, right. They're different. Yeah, it's different. It's intense. And I, I think the lyrics are really meaningful in, in most of their songs. And for me, like, I, I don't know, it's just, it's where I'm at. And then number, number one would definitely be zero sum by our wild America. Mostly because it was the it was the theme song in Heavy Metal Concepts video, the the the, the KOH video, uh, the one where like it starts with um with, with Tom Ways, uh dipping through the desert, and then it it kind of goes through just lots of shots of uh, racers and the and the people of KOH, and we listened to that song every single time, two or three times that we worked on our race car getting ready for King of the Hammers. And we didn't know if we were going to do it. We didn't know if we could get it together in time or we didn't, you know, there were so many questions. Like we didn't even know if we get to get going to get to go racing. And we played that song a lot. And I play it every time I'm in JV. And I, for me, like that's, that's probably like my, where my, my mentality is at, especially when it comes to racing. So that's probably about my favorite song. I really like it. Man, I wish I, all those years kind of blend together on, on the movies. Like maybe it's the kingdom. I don't know. Uh, I know Will could roll it off the roll it off immediately. Just Will's head works that way. It's Will has a catalog in his head of every single clip he's ever shot. It's crazy what he's got. But wow, Kyle. Okay, I like I, I like where you're going there. Two of those songs I've got to go look up though. I've got to go look up and play them for myself and and be like, okay, this is this is where you're at. Well, hey man, that concludes uh, that concludes the episode. I'm super pumped that you uh, you agreed to sit down. Super pumped that you uh, you shared your story with all of us and myself and let me ask dumb questions or fun questions or whatever that in, in a big one. Thank you. Dude. Thank you so much. I, I uh, man, I really appreciate it. Like I'm, I'm humbled to get to be on the talent tank. Like, especially since so many like great people have been on before me, it's insane to think that, that, that I could be a part of that. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, I look forward to what you have going next. And on that note, we're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into The Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at The Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.